one of my favorites. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Also one of my favorites. But I, I'm like one of my favorites because you're all my favorite. <laughs> he also has some amazing apparel today. He does. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> very patriotic and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Let's pray. You can get started. Father, thank you so much for uh, Edson and his gift of teaching. And I pray that you would uh, bring your word to light today for us, uh, that we would know you um, in a more valuable way, that we would know your, uh, the cost you gave for our lives to reconcile us to you, uh, to bring us hope, uh, to bring us peace and comfort. God, I pray that um, or we, would, we would hear from you and our, our spirit and ears would be open to yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You gonna give me your phone? <laughs> Good morning. Um, first of all, this is gonna go well um, because Japheth came up just before uh, the, ser the service started and he wished me good luck. So I'm like, I'm set, I'm good now. Um, second thing I wanna say is that um, Skip, well, let me just back up very slightly. I was in Israel where this story takes place when I agreed to teach it at a little spring called En Gedi, and we'll talk about it. Um, but I hadn't actually read the scripture. I just knew that I was at the place, and I thought, well, I should probably teach on that since I'm here. And then I read the scripture, and I said, oh, man, that was a mistake. Um, <laughs> so um, I called Skip who was actually the first guy that let me teach here, invited me to teach here, and um, asked him, I said, help, I don't have any idea what to say about this. So he actually spent some time working with me on a lot of this, so I, I need to give a shout out to him. Um, who am I? Uh, my name's Edson, Edson Knapp. Um, we, my wife and I have been here six years. Most of you all know us. Uh, you may know her, because she might have delivered your child. And you probably don't know me, but I read your x-ray at the hospital at some point. <laughs> when we go to the grocery store, everybody goes to Renda and says, oh, how wonderful, and they show her their babies, and they look at me, and I'm kind of like the third horn on a... <laughs> I'm not resentful at all. I mean, you understand. Um, no. So I wanted to finish up the story from the email. Uh, and those of you that don't get the email or didn't happen to read it... Um, we're going to be talking this morning about wilderness, amongst other things. And I was thinking back about what kind of stories I have of going through the wilderness. I think everybody has to go through the wilderness at some point. Um, and I was, I grew up in Tanzania, my parents were missionaries. And um, it was time for me to go to high school. And high school was about a thousand miles away from where I lived. Um, it was a boarding school. And so my parents dropped me off. and. We said our goodbyes, and I started uh, with classes and discovered that I was poorly prepared for high school. Um, and about two and a half, three weeks in, I had no friends. Um, I was failing every single class. I had an F in every single class. Uh, don't let that reflect on the fact that I'm a doctor now. <laughs> um, and um, I was pretty miserable. And then I got chicken pox, and I was sent to sick bay. 
Um, and in sick bay, I got pox in my mouth, so I couldn't swallow. And I was just, it was awful. Um, and I remember thinking, what, are, what am I going to do? What are my parents going to do? I'm failing high school. This is not really ideal. Um, and I finally got released from sick bay, and I was sitting outside um, on a Saturday in this little dorm area, a uh, little place outside by myself, just kind of like really um, figuring out what, what am I going to do with myself. This is, this is a disaster. Um, and this car pulled up in our little parking lot, and this lady got, young lady got out, um, probably about, um, I don't know, 25, 28, somewhere in there, um, and came over to me. I had never met her before, um, and asked, I'm looking for Edson Knapp. Do you know where I can find him? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm Edson. And thinking to myself, this is the strangest thing. And she walked up, sat down at the little table I was sitting at, said, hi, I'm Becky. God called me, told me to come and talk to you today. And I, you know, if that's never happened to you, you probably, it's probably a good thing because you're thinking this is, a, you know, somebody targeting me. Does she have a gun? It was a very strange experience. Um, it turned out she was a volunteer missionary for two years working in Arusha about 50 miles away. And God had put me on her heart. She knew that I was at the school. She knew that I was by myself. Um, and she said, God wanted me to come and talk to you and tell you that, one, you're in the right place, and two, he cares about what's going on with you. She had no idea that I was failing every class. And three, that it's going to be okay. And so I just shared my life with her, told her all that was going on. Um, and when we were done, she said, I want you to know I'm going to be praying for you. Um, and I've never seen her since. Um, and she said one thing that kind of really touched me, and that was, she said, you know God loves you when he picks someone out almost at random and brings them into your life to tell you that, that he cares about you. So don't take it lightly that God sent me to you. So we're going to talk about that kind of a story um, similar. We're going to talk about the wilderness, and we're going to talk about this uh, story of David. Um, and I put the title as Planned Surprise, and we'll talk a little bit about why, why that's the title. Now, there's some things that we have to remember as we approach these stories in the Old Testament, um, and this is definitely one of those. The first one is the person who wrote it has what we call repackaging authority. In other words, they can order the story a little bit, they can tell it in the way they want to emphasize something, um, but they don't have fictional authority. So the story is a, is a true story. So a lot of times, on most of the Old Testament, you read the story and you think, wow, that's a strange story. Why is that in Scripture? Uh, why did that get included? This is definitely in that category. It's a strange story. Why did they tell this story? The other thing is, um, I, and probably most of us, tend to approach these stories as if they're an Aesop's fable. What's the moral? Why did he tell us this story? I've got to figure out what the moral is. Um, and I think when we approach Scripture in that way, it's a little bit like um, putting on a spiritual girdle. You know what a girdle is? Retson didn't, and my son didn't know what a girdle is. So you're, you're a little pudgy. You don't really want everybody to notice that when you go to the high school reunion. And so you get this nice tight thing, and it shrinks you up nicely and gives you that nice shapely form. And then you go, and you're like, yeah, I'm skinny. Everybody thinks I'm skinny. That's a girdle. Well, a spiritual girdle 
You know, you go, to the, you go to the church and you hear a little story and there's a nice little moral and you've got that makes you feel like you're spiritual. You got to squeeze it in. The only problem is the fat just kind of redistributes in the other places. So if we approach scripture like that, we tend to have that exact experience. We feel good, we have a spiritual experience, but it doesn't change anything in our life. We don't, we don't grow from it, it doesn't make a difference. It just feels good or makes us look better. Um, so when we go through this story, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna put on a spiritual girdle or just reach at the easy morals um, that are in the story. We're, instead, we're gonna ask, what's the God story? What, what's behind this that God really wants to use to change our lives? A couple of things I want to look at. Um, we're going to talk about wilderness and what that means, and you'll see why that's a part of the story. And then we're going to ask the question, what did David do in this story that's a surprise? And why did he do it? Um, and maybe we can get a little bit deeper in, into the story. So this is where the story takes place, kind of. Um, and just to set the scene for you, uh, Randa and I were uh, at the Dead Sea. Um, you get to go swimming in the Dead Sea as a part of your Israel tour. And one of these days, Randa and I are gonna do an Israel tour. So if you wanna come with us, we'll, we'll plan it out. Um, anyway, you go swimming in the Dead Sea, which consists of floating on the top like a cork. You can't get under the water. You can't put your legs under the water. It's, a, it's kind of an interesting experience. And then we started driving back towards northern Israel, and um, it looks like that. There's just nothing growing. It's complete desert. It's beautiful, but it's not a place that one would want to live um, or hang out, other than being in an air-conditioned bus. Um, and then we came to a place called Engedi. Now, before we get there, I have a picture of it, but before we get there, I want to kind of set the scene for us, and we're going to do a little bit of review of what you all have already heard. Um, so it's always amazing to me how God arranged the story of Scripture through hundreds, thousands of years. The story fits together so incredibly well. So we're going to go to Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. How cool that Bethlehem is named the house of bread because Jesus is the bread of life, and he was born there. He wasn't the only one born there. David was born there. Um, and so uh, we, we come there and we see David in Bethlehem and he's the, the, the last kid, the runt of the family. And all the older brothers beat up on him and give him a hard time. And his job is the lowliest of the jobs, go out and take care of the sheep, be a shepherd, while they all get to do fun things and try to find girls in town that they would like to marry. Um, so there was a guy named Samuel, and he wanted to um, find the next king because Saul isn't working out very well. Y'all have probably heard this story before. And uh, there's this little verse, I'm just going to read it. You may have had it already um, from 1 Samuel chapter 16, but it uh, brings a little point that I want to bring in here. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, and the spirit rushed upon David from that day forward. Now, remember the scene. Samuel's gone through all the sons, right? He started off with the oldest, tall, handsome, amazing, be a great king, and God said, no. And he goes all the way down the line, and they run out of sons. And Samuel's like, uh, I'm pretty sure God told me to show up here, and I think you're the right family. 
It's like anybody else. And they're like, oh, that kid, David, he's out in the field. He's not worth anything. He's like a runt. And that's the person that God picked. In his insignificance, God picked him. Just, just amazing. And then, of course, we follow David to the story of Goliath. Um, and <laughs> Ren and I have been traveling a lot. Um, if you ever have a chance to see the David by Michelangelo, um, it's such a wonderful depiction. The statue is a wonderful depiction of the story of David and Goliath. Michelangelo carved his statue before uh, David attacks Goliath. And um, I can't really mimic him, besides which I have clothes on, which the statue doesn't. That's a good thing for Sunday morning. Um, <laughs> but on one side of David's body, he's very relaxed. He's just completely relaxed. There's nothing going on, nothing happening. On the back side, all of his muscles are tense, and he is holding the stone that he's going to use. It's actually in the sling. He's got the, the side is the sling, but he's holding it back here. And you can't see when you're in front of him what's happening behind him. He is ready to throw that stone. And there's tension on his right side of his body. The left side's completely relaxed, except for his eyes. And his eyes are intense, staring. And you can tell Goliath is done for from the statue. Now, of course, it's not uh, scriptural. But Michelangelo actually read scripture when he, when, he, when he carved, is that what you call it, when he prepared that statue. It's really quite extraordinary. Um, but the, the funny thing about David is, and this is what we're going to start to notice about his life, is we're just going to say it's kind of a surprise that that's how David took out Goliath, right? He didn't use a sword. He didn't wear the armor that Saul offered him. Instead, he used some stones. It was like, okay, you learned that as a shepherd. That kind of makes sense. But it's also a little bit of a surprise that a kid could slay a giant, that he could be so confident about it. So we're going to start asking the question, why the surprise? Now, the next story is a little disturbing, but I think it's important to understand why David went to the wilderness. And this is the story of Ahimelech. Uh, he was a priest, David running away from Saul because Saul, the king, wants to kill him. And um, he is out of food, and he runs up to Ahimelech and says, I'm hungry, and my men are hungry. Can you help us? And he, the priest says, well, the only thing we have is the sacred bread. We're not really supposed to use it for that. But in this case, I think it'll be okay. And he gives David bread. He also gives him the sword of Goliath. And they go on their way. Well, it turns out there was a spy there who worked for Saul, um, who saw what happened and later on told Saul about it. And Saul comes up. He's angry. How dare you be nice to David? Uh, you betrayed me. And Saul orders... Ahimelech and 85 priests to be killed. So this is a real serious situation. This is not fun and games anymore. This is Saul's out to kill David. And so David flees to the wilderness. This is why we often flee to the wilderness. Something happens in our lives that's a disaster or we're threatened and we have to go and be away from whatever that situation was. Um, and so that's what David did. He fled to the wilderness. Um, yeah, there we go. So that's in Gedi. Uh, this is where he fled to. Um, on the left, you can see a little cave in the middle. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. When you climb up through this ravine, um, there's caves everywhere. It would be really hard to actually find someone in a cave because you'd have to go through hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, and as you climb up this desert area, 
It's a little tiny stream, and about, I don't know, about an hour hike up from the Dead Sea, you've come across this spectacular waterfall that's just green and lush and beautiful. Um, so you can see why David fled to En Gedi, um, because um, it was a place where he and his men could have food. There's goats uh, there that they could kill. There's water. Um, it's just spectacular. So there's this interplay. There's like 15 stories about David in the wilderness. This is one of the early ones. There's this interplay where Saul is trying to find out where David is, and he hears about where David is, and he goes there with 3,000 men to kill David. And then David hears he's coming, and he goes somewhere else, and he hides somewhere else. And so at this story, he's hiding in En Gedi in a cave. Um, and here's where the story becomes a little bit strange. Um, Saul needs to go to the restroom. And so, being a private person, he decides to go to a cave by himself. Um, and there's a part of the story I didn't really understand until I studied it a little bit, but at that time, you removed your garments to use the restroom, all of your garments. So Saul goes into this cave, removes his garments, uses the restroom. Unbeknownst to him, David and his merry band are hiding at the back of the cave. And now I want just to take a moment because Saul's by himself. He doesn't have his 3,000 soldiers with him. He has no armor on. He has no weapons. He's completely unprotected. And they all see what's happening, and they're like, he just killed 85 priests. Go take him out, David. This is your chance. God said he would give him to you. Here you go. It's a gift. And here's the surprise. David says, that's not the right thing to do. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. Now that's sort of odd because David's the Lord's anointed. We just saw where Samuel came and anointed him with oil. And so why is he talking about Saul as the anointed? I mean, he's the king, but like, it feels like God's removed his anointing from Saul, and now David is anointed as the future king, and this is all set up perfectly, and yet David won't do what seems like the obvious thing. I'm sure his soldiers were just thinking to themselves, what in the world? Why are we following this guy? <laughs> what is he doing? So instead, David goes up to the garments that are laid to the side and cuts off a little tassel. And then Saul finishes and leaves, and at this point, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, how am I going to tell with this story <laughs> and share any meaning out of it? David cuts off the tassel. Saul leaves. And when he's across the ravine on the other side, David comes out and says to Saul across the ravine, hey, by the way, I could have killed you. Here's your tassel as proof. And there's this very odd interchange where David says, the Lord will judge between us. And Saul starts to cry, kind of and says, I'm so sorry, one day you're going to be king. But then, of course, the next week, he's back with his 3,000 men trying to kill David. So um, we're going to talk about the surprise, but before we jump into that, I want to talk a little bit about the wilderness, because all of us walk through the wilderness. Um, so I made this slide to talk about the wilderness, the things that we kind of go through that are wilderness. Um, and then I was looking back at my notes, and I thought, oh, I've, I actually own every single one of those words up there. Uh, the first one you might say, well, have you ever had cancer? Actually, I have not had cancer. 
but I was diagnosed with cancer. It turned out to be a false diagnosis. Um, poverty. <laughs> Renda and I have been through poverty. Uh, I remember one Christmas, we were so poor we couldn't afford a Christmas tree. That's pretty poor. And um, we uh, were on food stamps, and we were actually trying to go through medical school. And we had a bunch of kids, and on payday, which thank goodness was a couple days before Christmas, we bought presents for the kids. Uh, but we really were like, can't afford a Christmas tree. What are we going to do? And I said, well, you know, right before Christmas, the day before Christmas, they all go on sale. So maybe we can find one that we can afford the day before Christmas. So here we are on Christmas Eve out hunting for a Christmas tree. And we went to this uh, hardware store that had Christmas trees, we thought had Christmas trees, uh, called Scott's. And we drove up, and they were, they'd sold them all. They were all gone. And we went inside, and we're like, oh, man, we were looking for a Christmas tree. Do you guys have any Christmas trees that are left over that you're willing to sell cheap? And the guy that was working uh, said, oh, we threw the last one in the dumpster. You can have that one. So we got a free Christmas tree. Um, it was brown on one side, but hey, you know, it was free. Um, <laughs> raising children. Now, you know, I, I have to say, I was not the stay-at-home mom who realized after about five years of having young kids that you really need more words in your vocabulary than other than go potty and milk and drink. Um, so I can't completely own that one, but I do have seven kids. And I do know what it's like to think that diapers are going to be your life forever. Um, and that you will never have enough money in your budget because diapers takes up all the money. So I understand that wilderness a little bit. Um, I've been unemployed. Uh, I've been fired. Um, I've been through a divorce, which I would describe as probably my most difficult wilderness. Um, been through grief. Uh, so, like, I can own all of those up there. Um, so what, what is that process when we have to flee life, what we would consider normal life, and go into the wilderness? David described it like this. Uh, he actually wrote this psalm about this experience, Psalm 57. He said... Be gracious to me, God. Be gracious to me, for I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. I call to the God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Wake up, my soul. I will wake up the dawn. In the wilderness, we are hidden in his refuge. And the wonderful thing about that being in that place is that it takes away a lot of the games that we play with God and the time that we spend doing other things that interfere with our relationship with God. Because we're just in the, we, because we've had to draw away from things or in a place where we're, where we're struggling, it strips away some of the fakeness in our life. Let me illustrate that by telling you about a patient. Um, so I had a patient, this is when I was in medical school, and it was before they had good treatment for, uh, for HIV. Um, and she came into the hospital because she was having a little bit of a sore throat, and it had gotten worse to the point where she was losing weight, she was having trouble swallowing. Um, and so we did some tests, and it turned out that she had HIV, that she had AIDS. And we didn't, at that time, we did not have a good treatment for it. We didn't have the antivirals and all the stuff that we have now. Um, and so it was my job, uh, fell on me, to go in and tell her, this is what your diagnosis is, this is why you're having this trouble, and oh, by the way, 
we don't have a way of really helping you. Um, you're going to die from this illness. Um, and so I went in and had this conversation with her. And you can imagine, in a conversation like that, we don't discuss things like weather. Uh, we don't discuss busy work that needs to be accomplished. We don't look, pull out our date book and go, well, I can talk to you on Tuesday. We don't talk about the Christmas party that's coming up. Those are not a part of that conversation, obviously. What actually happens is all of the fake stuff on all of the walls that we build up are just stripped away. And now it's a genuine conversation that we have. So I had that genuine conversation with her about life and about the fact that she had a child that was now not going to have a mom. And for me, that's what it means to be in the wilderness. God strips away all of that stuff that we build up so that we don't have to have a relationship with him. And we can meet him face to face in a genuine way. We can cry out to God, Father, this is, this is a disaster. What has happened? Why is this happening to me? How can you help me? Why aren't you helping me? The reality of that relationship can come into focus. Huh. In the wilderness, we rest in the shadow of his wings. His spirit restores us. Uh, I just read yesterday that California is going to, looking at passing a law requiring people to sleep more because Americans are not getting enough sleep. Sounds like a California law. Um, how often I hear people say to me, I am so tired. I'm exhausted. I don't know if I can keep doing it the way I'm doing it. So if you're in the wilderness of exhaustion, overwhelmed with life, uh, you need to rest on God. You need to be restored by him. In the wilderness, we cling to, we depend on a holy God. Uh, this word cling is one of my favorite words in scripture. Um, it's the picture of, if you have, if you're a parent and you've had a little child, four or five years old, and something scared them, a dog came up suddenly barking or something scares them, and they run to you and they grab you by the leg because they're not tall enough to grab you and give you a hug, and they put their arms around you and they hold on for dear life. That's the word picture for this word. The Hebrew word is dabak. That is what we learn to do when God puts us in the wilderness. We learn to cling to him with all our might because he is our only hope. Psalm 63, verse 8, and I don't have it on the screen. My soul clings to you. Your right hand holds me up. In the wilderness, we learn answers to questions we never knew to ask. When Job has his family and he's wealthy and his farms are all making money and they have parties and life is good, he doesn't think to ask God, why do you allow pain in this world? But when Job's wife is saying to him, I don't know what you did, but you really messed up, and his friends are saying, I don't know what your sins are, but you need to confess them because this is terrible, and his family has died except for his nagging wife, and he has boils on his skin, and he's lost everything, 
he has time to ask that question that he never thought about before. Why are you allowing this to happen to me, God? You see, it's in the wilderness where it's still, and we see something that God made, similar to how it is here where we live. You can see his majesty, and you ask questions that you never thought of before, heart questions. In the wilderness, we discover our worth before a holy, unlimited God. You know, when I was sitting in that chair, that table, that picnic table outside at my dorm, thinking to myself, I'm worthless. I can't pass ninth grade. I don't have any friends. I'm miserable. I'm trying to get over chicken pox. I found out God cared about me. How? He sent somebody to tell me. It's in the wilderness where we find out that God loves us, that he has a plan for us, a meaning for us. The funny thing is, later on I had friends, and I managed to get through high school with passing grades. Um, later on I found out from my friends that when I had chicken pox, I changed from kind of an obnoxious I've got it all together person that they didn't like to a person that needed help. I had to ask them to bring my assignments to me. I had to ask them to tell me what the teachers were teaching. And I was miserable and struggling and I needed help. And they say, they, they all told me later, that's when we actually realized you were an okay guy. And a huge part of my high school was happened in a good way because I had chicken pox and because I went through that which is such an odd part of my story. Hmm. Now, one little point we want to make, Saul's wilderness. Um, if we stay in the wilderness too long, it becomes a prison. There is a time when God wants us to graduate from the wilderness, to take the lessons that we've learned and move on to the next thing he has for us in life. Some of us, there are times when we go to the wilderness and we're so hurt and we have so much pain that we just want to stay there. Um, you might hear it like this. Well, I love God, but I don't like church. I got hurt in church a while back. So I don't like going to church, but I love God. That means I'm in the wilderness and I'm not willing to come out of it. Or um, you might hear it like... Um, like Saul, he went into the wilderness of who's this young person that God has chosen instead of me, and he couldn't get out of it. He couldn't stop being jealous of David. He couldn't figure out what God's role was for him, and he just got stuck in this wilderness of trying to attack David. So remember that the wilderness is for a time and God can use it in your life, but there is also a time when you have to choose to leave the wilderness to, to move on with whatever God, God's ministry is for you. Now, I want to look back um, at another word, and this is actually the critical word in the scripture um, where David is telling his soldiers, no, we're, gonna, we're not going to take him out. It's the word anointed. Um, I'm just going to go back to that verse. Um, let me, I should point out, this is actually fairly important. So in the top left is Hebrew, uh, and it's Hebrew for Messiah. Um, Messiah means anointed. So when um, 
Samuel took oil and put it on David's head, anointed him with oil. That is actually where the word Messiah comes from. And when we were, read the word Christ in our Bible, that's the Greek translation of the word Messiah. It also means anointed with oil. It's the same word, Messiah and Christ. Um, so if you search in your Bible search app for the word Messiah, you'll notice that a lot of verses will come up in the New Testament with the word Christ, because your Bible app is smart and knows that. Um, so when we see the word anointed in this verse, uh, 1 Samuel 24, verse 6, remember we read it just a little while back, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So this, this word that David uses here is the explanation about why David does this surprising thing. And in fact, through his life, you'll notice David does surprising things. David knew that there was a time when God chose Saul, and now he's chosen David, and that if you're anointed, there needs to be some respect associated with that. Why? Because the anointed one, the Messiah, is coming. And the kingship is being viewed or being used by God to show who or what the Messiah will be. Now, it's so interesting because as we come to Jesus, remember Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? And his answer was, I'm a king, but not of this world. The kingdom of heaven, I'm the king of the kingdom of heaven. So seeing, as, as David looks at Saul, he sees the first picture of what will come later. And what's fascinating about David's story is that a little bit later in his life, God shows him through a vision that his offspring, David's offspring, is going to be the Messiah, the king, the anointed one, the true Messiah. And so what I think of, the, when I think of this story, I think David and his men hiding in a cave, Saul shows up, and it's a surprise to all of them except for God. God knew that was coming. And that's why I called it a planned surprise. And that's how our lives are. We come to the day when we find out something that thrusts us into the wilderness, and it's a surprise to us, but it's in God's plan. And if we know that God has a plan, and we see that there is a Messiah, we can respond like David. We can see where it is God is going and respond with the wisdom that David had. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about my story. Um, still painful, um, but there was a time when I uh, opened up my computer and found out that my then wife, not Renda, my then wife, had typed a letter to her lover that somehow didn't get deleted off the computer. And that thrust me into a time of wilderness. And I remember very clearly that I pulled up a verse that was meaningful to me at the time, and I printed it out, and I taped it to the wall. 
And I said to myself through my tears, I'm going to look at this verse every day because I'm going to remember that God was here this day, this time before I was here. It was a planned surprise on God's part, not my plan. I want to ask this question um, as we look at, turn our eyes to the Messiah. Who was David looking at? Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism unto death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And so I want to ask the question, when we look at David, who was the Messiah? Was Saul the Messiah? Was he the anointed one? Yes, but that's not who we think of as the Messiah. Was David the Messiah? Well, no, because we see David's life. He was an adulterer, murderer. He's, he's clearly not the Messiah. And I think all of us would answer, if I asked the question, was Christ the Messiah? Was Jesus the Messiah? We would all say yes. But when you look at this verse, there's a little bit more to the answer. Because when we turn to God and we ask Jesus into our heart, we then become the Messiah for everyone that we walk with. Matter of fact, we might say when we are Messiah to our spouse, Jesus is Messiah to us. When I am Messiah to Renda, Jesus is Messiah to me. As we are Messiah to our children, Jesus is Messiah to us. As we are faithful to our boss, for example, Jesus is faithful to us. As we are peace to our enemy, Jesus is peace to us. As we are grace to our employee, Jesus is grace to us. As we are mercy to the weak, Jesus is mercy to us. As we are kind to the poor, like that guy that gave us the Christmas tree, Jesus is kind to us. So in the wilderness, we kind of have a choice. We can be David or we can be Saul. And I would say that Saul, why, how did he mess up? What did he do wrong? Because when you read his story, it's a little hard to see why God rejected him. And the answer is, Saul tried to be his own Messiah. He tried to manipulate God. He tried to make things work out so that he would be the king, the Messiah, the anointed one. And David said, oh no, that's not my role. My role is to depend on the Messiah to trust God, to rest on God, to spend time with God every morning. So in this life, you must choose whether you will be Messiah for others or whether you'll be Messiah for yourself. And I think when we go through the wilderness and I think when we walk through our life, when we decide we're going to serve others, we're going to be their Messiah. When we look at them and we say, no one should love that person. They're mean, 
They're manipulative. They're not kind to others. And yet we still love them and we still serve them and we still care for them. That that's the story that we see here. So thanks for joining me this morning. Um, we have four responses at Church of the Rock. I love this church. Um, my favorite one, much more favorite than my sermon, is when Chris and his band sings and we get to worship the Lord. Um, there's communion where we take Christ in us so that he can be Messiah through us. Um, we'll have people in the back that are happy to pray, pray with you. If you're going through a wilderness and you need someone to walk that with you, they can pray with you. Um, and then you can respond. You can put money in the offering to say, thank you, Lord, you're blessing us. Um, and you can respond the whole week. You can find people and you can be Messiah to them. Blessing. Happy Sunday. Thank you, Edson. Thank you, worship team. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your spirit that in the darkest wilderness, God, you provide light that guides us. You provide an anointing that covers us and helps us to know you. And I ask that uh, for all of us who have given our lives to you, God, would we know you in a deeper way through the wilderness. And for everyone in this room who is lacking that, God, would you provide a hunger to find you, to know you, to find direction through you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. If you are having trouble finding food, providing food for your family, we would love to help you with that. Uh, come see someone at the info table or find one of our staff members. Uh, we don't officially end until 1230, so stick around, help us tear down, hang out, have fun. Have a blessed Sunday. Enjoy the rain. We'll see you next week. <laughs>